Young Lilibet is more than a week old by now, and already she's the queen of the world, but we've been new. And it's only been like 10 or 12 days since the girl was born. That was the day, that was the last podcast. Feels like a lifetime ago. And of course, we're going to get into some of the things that, that happened, that were said in those 10 or 11 days since the girl was born, uh, or at least since the announcement was made. And of course, I hope you guys have been well. So thanks as always for tuning in to the guys and girls of the Sussex squad. So let's go ahead and get into it. So this past week, we saw true to form reactions to the name Lilibet Diana, Harry and Meghan's daughter. Lilibet was born on a Friday. Her birth was announced on a Sunday, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. So about two days and then the world, at least in England and the UK, the world melted on Monday. And when I think about it, this is where I really wish Harry and Meghan waited longer. I mean, understandably, they wanted the people to know, at least the queen, the family and all of that to know. Um, And if they told the queen, then certainly right after that, they're going to share it with the world just because leaks But this is where I wish they could have just enjoyed their child and their family, you know, the four of them or the five of them. I'm sure Doria is there, you know, for a good week to two weeks. No interference, no hateration, no drama, no nothing. Just family time, just enjoying those magical moments with their infant daughter and just being happy. So the initial reaction was, oh, okay, so they named after the queen. Typical, you know, not not surprising in any way. Probably surprising that they chose the nickname for the queen, but not surprising in a bad way. And I'm speaking about myself, my reaction. Because, of course, they were going to honor the queen. Harry's talked about his relationship with the queen. No surprise that Diana was there. People aren't making the stink about Diana, the name Diana. They're making the stink about the fact that it was Lilibet as opposed to Elizabeth. Now, if you remember Harry and Meghan's statement, they made it quite clear that they intend on calling Lilibet Lily. That was their nickname. My, I'm guessing that Meghan already had a name in mind or what she wanted to call her daughter. I mean, who knows? But they made it very clear from from just the introduction of their daughter to the world that they were going to call her Lily. But literally hours later, you have first the haters on the internet, then the haters who call themselves reporters, journalists, not journalists, that's too kind, reporters for the British tabloids and the British media talking about, well, I don't know about that name. I mean... It's the queen's personal nickname. You know, it's so cherished by the queen. Oh, her beloved Prince Philip just recently passed. He was the only one to call her Lilibet. Not true, by the way. But no one else in the family has that name. Everyone else who is named for her is Elizabeth and whatever their other names are. 
Oh, Lilibet as a name is so disrespectful to the queen. Did they even ask the queen's permission? Or did they just tell her they wanted to name their daughter after her nickname? And on and on it goes. And what immediately follows after the announcement of the birth and the revelation of the name is what has always happened whenever Harry and Meghan has announced any type of major news, which is a war in the press and all of these conflicting reports. And ultimately what it boils down to is clicks, profit for tabloids who basically continue to write and rehash some of these same stories, same headlines, and a further attempt to try to damage Harry and Meghan and or make it so that whenever they come back to the UK, it is a purely hostile environment for both of them and probably for their kids as well. But they basically accused Harry and Meghan of not asking the Queen's permission and, of course, implying that they're liars <laughs> uh, whenever they, uh, I guess, supposedly were friends of the Sussexes basically said, well, of course he has permission. He wouldn't have named her that had the queen not given him that permission. Well, prior to that, the BBC, as if they're not already in enough hot water, the BBC decided, hey, let's join in on the smear campaign and let's smear the Sussexes too. So they wrote a piece saying that Harry and Meghan did not ask the queen for permission. Now, let me just say this. That is out of line with Harry's character when he talks about um, his respect for the queen and the and the respect that he's shown just as a grandchild. Forget the fact that they're royal as as a grandchild to the queen. But can we just go on the record and say you don't have to ask nobody for permission to name your child whatever the hell you want to name your kid. Like you don't have to ask anyone's permission. You really don't. But if Harry and Meghan say that they did have that conversation with the Queen, then I'm going to take their word for it. So first the BBC says, well, they didn't ask for permission. And then other quote unquote palace staff say, but that conversation never took place. And then you have reports of saying, well, the conversation took place, but it was more Harry and Meghan telling the Queen than asking for permission. And this is where my problem with this type of reporting lies in that who is saying this, this conversation happened this way as opposed to that way? Like who are the palace sources? Because to me, it seems like the word source is just a tool for either folks to hide behind a cloak of anonymity or for these publications to just continue to make money off of the Sussexes by writing these stories that they know are going to get clicks, that they know people are going to converse about, uh, and that just keep the drama and the mess alive. So you can throw in an anonymous source as soon as you need to say something controversial, as soon as you want to say something that's going to get the people riled up. You will also throw in phrases like, it is believed, or it is said, or... It is understood that anything that gives you a cushion, or I, was, I should say them, the BBC, the Mirror, the Sun, the Daily Mail, anything that gives them a cushion, a legal cushion to write lies, but get away with it. 
To me, it just doesn't make sense that Harry would still name his child Lilibet if the queen had said absolutely no, absolutely not. And again, it is not in line with who Harry has presented himself to be to not ask his grandmother for permission, regardless of what I think about the queen, regardless of what anybody else thinks about the queen. That's not how Harry views the queen. So Harry and Meghan's lawyers sent over a nice little letter to the BBC telling them that their report that the queen was not asked for permission to use the name Lilibet was false and defamatory and it should not be repeated. Whether the BBC done repeated it or not, I don't know. But they done been warned, okay? And Harry and Meghan, they don't send letters to people for fun. Like, it's not a game for them. So they would send a letter like that when they're standing ready to back it up should you want to go ahead and try them. They have a track record of winning lawsuits. And my thing is, how are you going to prove that Harry and Meghan didn't ask for permission. That's the thing. Like you, if you make an assertion, you need to be able to prove it. And you're not going to do that with an anonymous source. Where's the proof? And that's how you know it's about clicks because they don't really care about what happened and why it went down. But my issue with the queen in all of this is pretty much the same issue I've had with the queen the whole time the Sussexes have been going through their ordeal for the last few years never actually saying anything like not setting the example within the quote-unquote institution that the way her grandchild and his children and his family the way they're being treated is unacceptable never ever putting your foot down it's bad enough that the boy's own dad doesn't intervene and put his foot down. But then that goes back to that invisible contract. But for the queen to, I don't care that she's like 95, 96, for her to be the head of this institution that basically partners with another problematic institution, they collaborate in their effort to eat Harry and Meghan alive. And the fact that they haven't been successful up to this point is a fucking miracle but the fact that she never ever ever puts her foot down even at the announcement of her newest great-grandchild that's what's most problematic for me and that's probably why so many people had a problem with the name Lilibet in the first place and I'm talking about Sussex Squad who didn't like it they had a visceral reaction just learning that that was um the name that they chose but ultimately it's not our call so for people to recognize that right away that shows you're exercising some common sense and you move on with your well wishes for the family because this is a newborn right why why spend your time and energy trying to ruin this very happy time for this family the British media would never ask that question because they know why they want to ruin it or try to ruin it for them. Because again, it equates to clicks, it, it equates to profit, and it also equates to uh, them getting further, closer to their goal of trying to make England and the UK 
uh, an environment that is inhospitable to Harry and Meghan should they decide to return for any length of time. All right. Their goal is to knock Harry and Meghan down as opposed to promoting Will and Kate. They do try to promote Will and Kate, but Will and Kate, nothing they do is worth promoting. So they're just kind of spinning their wheels with that. But they want it to be that whenever Will and Kate and Harry and Meghan are in the same place, that people by default prefer Will and Kate. And you know what the sad thing is? And not necessarily intending to, you know, go on a tangent, but like, despite the bad publicity like the orchestrated, coordinated bad publicity that Harry and Meghan have gotten, especially since they've left the UK, they are still more popular than Will and Kate. So it's all manufactured. So the fact that they're using an infant child in order to further play this game is indicative of two institutions that have no moral foundation to stand on. And the Sussex critics are so all over the place that they constantly say Harry and Meghan disrespect the queen by telling their own truth. Yet when they name their child after the queen, they say, well, you disrespected the queen by naming her after the queen. But I think the rub is this. They are so, like, they're incensed that Harry and Meghan honored the queen in a way that no one had thought of or predicted. And I think it dawned on a lot of people that in naming her Lilibet, not Elizabeth, not Eliza, not Isabel, but Lilibet, it's that when the queen passes, there's only going to be one Lilibet in the family. Now there's two but there's only going to be one after Charles becomes king. And she's an American and her mom's a woman of color and her grandmother is a black woman and her great-grandmother and great-great-grandmother and everybody after that is black. Her culture is not just American culture and I'm sure there will be some, maybe some aspects that she carries with her from British culture depending on how much of her childhood is lived in the UK, which at this particular juncture, I can't really imagine it would be that much. But her culture is also African-American culture. And that's not something her parents are going to hide from her, as if they could, but not that they would even want to hide that from her. And I don't care how Lily White Lily happens to be, and no pun intended, <laughs> like honestly, truly no pun intended with that. It just happened to, to fit. I don't care how white her skin happens to be. One of the people who are going to have the greatest influence over her life is her grandmother, Doria. And the fact that she carries a version of the queen's first name as her own first name and the fact that she has any black blood in her is what bothers people. It's not about the permission. It's not about whether they told the queen or requested the queen approve their name choice. It's about the fact that even though the child is blood related to the queen, 
They're going to call her the queen's name. They're going to call her this beloved nickname that they said was only used in private, which that's been debunked about three or four times in the last seven days. It's the same reason they have an issue with Megan even being in the picture because she's partially black. And in the Sussex squad, we talk about this often. We remind people of this often. If you look at Megan, there are no attributes that she has that makes her so likable that would be disregarded in the way that they are with her if Megan didn't have a black mother. She's intelligent, she's driven, and she works hard. She's well-spoken, she's compassionate, and she's completely self-made. In a white woman, every single one of those qualities is celebrated. But in the case of Meghan Markle, and really any other black woman who is successful in the public eye, she's a narcissist. In the case of Lily, we already see a double standard applied to her for her being named after her grandmother. You can rest assured that she's the only female relative who has either Elizabeth's name directly or a version of that name that will ever be hit over the head for having that name. It'll largely be led by the press, but don't ever expect the royal family to intervene because they're simply not going to. Just like they're not intervening now in the first few weeks of her life, just like they didn't intervene when Megan was being bullied by the press during her pregnancy. Hell, they bullied Megan during her pregnancy by claiming Megan was a bully before the interview came out. And just as they didn't intervene when Megan was pregnant with Lily's brother, Archie, they're never going to intervene when anyone is going after the Sussexes or their children. That, by the way, is not family. And it's probably why the royal family, as well as the rest of the island, gets news of major Sussex events when everybody else gets that news. Maybe with the exception of the queen. Maybe. Right? But I'm assuming so. But everybody else is getting the news whenever, when everybody else in the world gets it. And I would imagine that Harry and Meghan don't view them as family. Meghan, certainly not. That's my guess. But Harry, he can't possibly view them as the same family he did before he met Meghan. And Meghan hasn't changed his view. They have changed Harry's view of them by how they treated her and how they treated his family. And look at the lack of of protection that they're giving his newborn daughter, knowing full well Charlotte would never be subjected to this, ever, ever. In, in some parallel bizarro universe where any of Will's children are bullied and demeaned in the way we've seen Lilibet demeaned this past week, just for having the name Lilibet. There's no one in Buckingham Palace that would stand for it. But it's crickets when it comes to the quarter black great granddaughter of the queen. 
In Archie's first day or two of life, he was called a chimpanzee by a British journalist for the BBC who was fired and then later rehired. And in Lilibet's first few days of life, another UK journalist said that she surprised she wasn't named after George Floyd, the black man who was murdered this time last year. And these are journalists. Now, it's great that people can come at these types of people right away. And, you know, in both cases, they were fired. Uh, and, you know, you can run people off social media and things like that. But it's the fact that they felt bold enough to say those types of things just out, out in the open world. And to me, that says a lot about England as a nation, what has always been there just right under the surface. I will never let anyone tell me that England is not a racist country. There's just no way. Because American journalists, we don't do that. Now, that's not to say all journalists in America are perfect, but we haven't had any stories of American journalists that have said such things about Megan's children. But in England, there is a shocking display of hostility toward Megan in particular, but toward Harry and Megan, so much so that people don't think twice about attacking a newborn in public and risking their livelihoods in the process. That is alarming. So while all the girls in England are you know, hate watching everything Harry and Meghan do. And then every few weeks asking the question, well, is she going to come back? Are they going to come back? You know, whether it's for the Diana statue unveiling, whether it's for Trooping the Color next year. I mean, y'all keep wanting to see them in that environment again. But you can't be surprised if they decide that actually, no, we're not. We're not actually going to come back. Harry's going to go back before Megan does, not just because Megan is a new mother, but also if the environment is triggering for him, and he admitted it was triggering for him, at least it's something that he's used to. I don't see Megan going back into uh, the environment of a royal family, palaces, and all these different events after she's been removed from it for almost two years. Because if it's triggering for Harry, it has to be extremely triggering for her. And if she's been able to observe the fact that you didn't have any regard for her life or her children's lives, whether they were in her womb or freshly out of her womb, why would she bring her children to that environment. Don't be surprised if the first time Lilibet and Archie step foot back in England is when there is a funeral to attend. And maybe not even then. And who am I? Because I can't make these calls for them. I guess I'm only speaking as if, if I were in their shoes, what decision would I make? I'd go into the viper's nest if I had to, and certainly Megan is the type of individual who is going to want to support Harry. 
let's say in the event of a funeral or some hard thing that he has to do because he has to go back over there. She's going to want to be there by his side and support him. But I'm not going to bring my children into the viper's nest. And I'm not just talking about the family. I'm talking about the press, too. But the fact that the family never, ever, ever intends to protect the children means that my children can't be here. Or if they're here, they're not going to be out in public what people can try to profit off of them. And I mean, you just don't, you just never know. The thing is, you never know. You know, I'm not going to get into conspiracy theory or nothing like that. But the thing is, you never know. And when you're surrounded by snakes, you just can't trust none of them because a snake is a snake. So I, I just don't see them bringing their children back there. Now, that is not the same as Megan going to England and to London to interact and engage with the Luminary Bakery, with the Mayhew, you know, with SmartWorks. Those are two totally different things, two totally different moods altogether. Um, but engaging with the royal family, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. But when a racist journalist comes out in front of the world and called the newest member of the royal family it, not she, but it, I mean, that's the ultimate in dehumanization and the royal family says nothing, then no one should expect Megan to bring her children over there. And when a journalist asks Kate, hey, have you met Lilibet? The answer should be no. Have you FaceTime? The answer is no. And they're probably not going to anytime soon. So Lilibet, Lily, Lily Di, Lily Diana, Lil Bit. She doesn't need that barely believable exhibition of fake love from her relatives. Because they're playing games. Harry and Meghan are not. And they can seethe over the name if they want to. But the name ain't going to change. So I guess they better learn to live with it. Another thing of note within the last week is Megan, the author, dropped a book, The Bench. It's out. It's doing well. And it was released two days after she announced the birth of her daughter. And that is so fitting because the book is a beautiful tribute to Harry and Archie's relationship. So honoring that special relationship uh, a father has with his son while she's just beginning her relationship with her daughter. I thought it was just perfect timing. I mean, she couldn't have planned it better. Not that she really planned for it to happen in this order, but it couldn't have gone better. <laughs> um, and it was really nice to see all of the pictures of squad and just regular Megan fans who might not necessarily consider themselves to be Sussex squad posting pictures, supporting the book. I mean, <laughs> people who probably don't even have kids buying the book and or buying the book for their maybe nieces and nephews, you know, uh, friends, kids, just supporting the book and just ensuring that it was a success. So we see that the book very quickly 
made the front page of the Amazon bestseller list. I believe it got got up to as high as number five, maybe number four. It didn't quite get number one, but that's okay because she's still a bestseller, period. Just like we saw with the Together cookbook um, where she wrote the foreword for the Ladies of the Hub Community Kitchen. Um, and that's also a good point to bring up just because it's uh, – this week was the anniversary of the Grinfell Tower tragedy, and we know how that impacted those ladies, but how they use compassion and their efforts and their talents to give back to their community. Uh, that book was a success just about instantly. Well, this book comes around, and right off the bat, we see the musty Muppets thinking they can just waltz on over to Amazon and try to sabotage the book reviews. Listen, girl, it just don't work that way. Y'all tried, though. I'm going to go ahead and give y'all an A for effort because y'all y'all organize around some hateful ideas. But it really just boiled down to be a waste of time. And I don't even get mad at the, the one-star reviews that say verified purchase because you paid for it. You paid for your review. Uh, so it was good to see that Amazon took down all of the the ones that were clearly just talking about how they didn't like Megan as a person and pretending they had bought the book knowing full well that they didn't just so they could leave bad reviews. They didn't even take the time or the effort to leave positive reviews for the virus book. So that shows you Megan's power. (laughs) So In the lead up to the book being released, we saw the British press trying to sabotage it. And then when it dropped, reviewing it as if it was marketed as the next great literary text when it's a children's book. The shenanigans were just about at a fever pitch. And at this stage of the game, with Harry and Meghan winning, I have come to love the shenanigans. Like, I... I love the shenanigans because all it is is free publicity. Megan ain't doing no interviews. The illustrator, Christian Robinson, did interviews, and he he typically does that for his books. But Megan, nope. She and Lily have just been letting the girls cry about it and, like, counting their coin. (laughs) Like, leave 10 more bad reviews. It's fine. The book's still going to sell. And of course, American media promoted it, both in old media and on social media. And I, I love it. So the book started as a poem that Megan wrote for her husband, Harry, uh, as she was witnessing the relationship that father and son had within her own family. And it turned into this beautiful book with these beautiful illustrations with so much inclusion because no little boy is the same no parent is the same no upbringing is the same Christian in his promotion of the book talked about how his father wasn't in his life when he was a little boy but he remembers sitting on a bench with his grandmother who raised him and I also thought Christian's perspective as an illustrator what he brought to uh, the story And the book itself was just really beautiful because he grew up in an urban environment. So there's so many different types of benches. You know, you got the benches that you 
you know, like your typical bench that you might see in like, I just think of a Central Park bench. Uh, but then the benches outside of Section 8 housing, for example, they look different. But those types of benches are included in the book. Uh, benches at a bus stop. I believe that's also included in the book. And so his perspective as someone who's lived in an urban environment, it brings so much as well as just your ordinary regular type benches that you might find, like in Megan's backyard, for example. Um, I absolutely loved his perspective as the illustrator. And I'm glad that Megan gave him that sort of rain for for his talents to really shine because they really do shine so even if you just because it, there's not a whole lot of text in the book because you know it's it's a short poem but just to look at the care with which he applies to his work and then how that melds with the poem itself but how the poem can be applied to anybody's father-son relationship or anyone who's raising a son. I just find it so beautiful. And also accompanying the release of the book was the news that the Duchess of Sussex is giving away 2,000 copies of the book to school kids all across America. And her statement read in part, after more than a year of unprecedented challenges for school kids and families everywhere, the Duchess believes the path ahead must include a focus on well-being and nourishing our communities through food, education, and emotional and mental health support. At Archwell, it is often centered on food and essential needs, as evidenced by a partnership with organizations like World Central Kitchen, but also nourishment through learning and connection as seen in the Duchess's support of last year's Save With Stories initiative to raise funds for educational resources like books, toys, and worksheets. As an example of this belief system, the Duchess and Archwell have received the support of the publisher of The Bench to distribute 2,000 copies at no cost to libraries, community centers, schools, and nonprofit programs across the country. And then it goes on to talk about Assistance League of Los Angeles and how Archwell will work with First Book, an organization that will help them distribute more than 200 million books across the United States and Canada. I mean, the Duchess with the solutions is correct. That's the best description for my girl because she's that girl. Lily Mama really did that. And honestly, it's the marketability without having to market that is what makes the Sussex brand reliable. It's a thing called credibility. And it is the opposite problem the Cambridges are having, for example. Really, the whole royal family. You have none to stand on. Yet, Megan can do zero publicity for a debut children's book and end up as a New York Times bestseller and an Amazon bestseller. No, because Megan really sat up in her big pretty house, right? were her pretty little baby collecting her pretty little bag while the girls are on the internet throwing pretty little fits and temper tantrums. It's honestly something that will never get old for me. I mean, it's a formula that works. You can predict it as it's unfolding. And you know, like they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And speaking of musty Muppets throwing temper tantrums, most of us saw the Refinery29 article 
um, it was circulating around. And I'm going to hit on that just a little bit because I, I thought it was the first piece about royal fans, royal watching that made an effort to crystallize and define the group of women who basically exist to hate watch everything Megan does. And the author defined that group of people as anti-fans, anti-fans. So, and that was the first time I had heard that term before, but I, I mean, I think it's an accurate description. But Sussex Squad has been saying this for the longest in that Sussex Squad and any other fan base, doesn't matter who, I don't care what you call yourself, fan bases are united around their love for a thing, whether it is a person whether it is Star Wars girl, whether it is a restaurant, it doesn't matter. But you can all point to this thing and say, yes, we as a group, we like it. We're proponents for it. That's our jam. Anti-fans, on the other hand, point to said thing, whatever that happens to be, and decide we hate it. We hate it. We're going to find any and everything to critique about it. We're going to pick it apart. That's what unites us. And so Sussex Squad or Meghan and Harry fans have always said that's the key difference between Wool and Kate fans and Harry and Meghan fans. Now, in the beginning, I think a lot of people in Sussex Squad were trying to give Will and Kate fans grace by saying, well, they're not really Will and Kate fans they're just Harry and Meghan haters. Well, over time, I think a lot of those girls realized, well, I can't hide behind my hate, so I got to hide behind this fake love of the other couple, this other couple that I can use to draw a distinction between themselves and Harry and Meghan. And then it morphed into this thing where Will and Kate became sort of a symbol that the entire group could use as a weapon against Harry and Meghan. And because the couples are so different, it's easy to say everything Harry and Meghan do is wrong. Everything Will and Kate do is correct and right. But even still, they spend more energy, more time and attention focusing on everything Harry and Meghan are doing. Not just what the tabloids are writing. We're talking about hate-watching shows on multiple streaming platforms, hate-listening to podcasts that they are on. And I mean, combing over every detail. And spending countless hours just making videos, you know, writing tweets and subtweeting all of the royal reporters and all of the other anti-fans, they're united in this hatred. Even if they're calling themselves Cambridge fans, they're not united in that. Again, they will weaponize them as a symbol of hatred when it's convenient. But for the most part, they spend all of their time hate-watching each and every one of Harry and Meghan's successes. And yes, even though we know Harry and Meghan and Archie and Lilibet are good and, you know, they don't have to market in order to succeed and to win, these anti-fans are still united in their bitterness 
and their desperate attempts to sabotage everything they do as well. So there's the hate watching, but then there's also the coordinated effort to sabotage that success. So in essence, they're united by their bullying practices. And as I see it, plain old bitterness. So that would be the anti-fans because they play a critical role, right? In the driving out of the Sussexes from, you know, from England and from the royal family. Um, Even though, even though we know that we would want them nowhere else other than where they are because clearly they're safer. That's a key, like the online abuse is one of the key engines. We give a lot of flack to the British press, which they deserve, and the royal family, which they also deserve. But make no mistake, it is a coordinated effort between those three groups of people. The bullies online, the British press, the institution. And it's why they're always, always on the same page, no matter what. Like, no matter what is going on, whether it's the name Lilibet, whether it's regarding Meghan's personality or Harry's choices, or Harry and Meghan leaving England in the first place. The family, the press, the bullies, they're always all going to be on the same page. So this article also talks about you know, specific accounts that are either pro Harry and Megan and anti Harry and Megan. It even included Musty Meg and how she stopped talking to the author after she realized that the article was an anti Megan. What a fucking coward. And I'm gonna put this out here. I believe she's getting paid by the Daily Mail. Period. Period. And probably not even just the Daily Mail. But this is right up like it it just makes sense but she's a right-wing thug everybody that follows her is a right-wing thug and she's often retweeted and subtweeted by the same royal reporters who made it a point to make Harry and Meghan's life a living hell and this is what I mean by coordinated effort it's not a mistake But anyway, the author goes on to define the term anti-fan or anti-fandom, and she writes, For some of the accounts, an intense love of the monarchy fuels the anti-fandom. Wanting Megxit, longing for the days when Harry played Gooseberry to Wills and Kate, could be compared to liking a television series before a new showrunner took over. Anti-fans tagged the official royal Twitter accounts with their grievances in the same way the Star Wars fans tag Ryan Johnson. Their activities, petitioning for the removal of titles, boycotting companies that work with Harry and Meghan, organized hate-watching and review-bombing mirror media anti-fan behavior. Blind items are their fan fiction, photoshopped nudes are their fan art, but as experts on anti-fandom also write, anti-fandom shouldn't be seen as a cover for what it is at its core, obsessive online hatred. And that's what the Mugsits are to me, an online hate group. And you know the the term uh, Megxit? We all know that started online. And the article sort of references that too, but that's a term that started online. And to me, that was a slur. That was a slur. 
But then it went from because Oprah even said the word Mexit in the in the interview. But it went from bullying online, Twitter and Instagram and and I guess blogs, Tumblr, what have you, to then journalists, tabloid reporters, royal reporters using that term. And I remember when they first started using that term to in the same way that Megan's bullies online used it. Um Sussex Squad was really mad because like, do you realize that that is actually a racist term? And then you have Brexit, which, you know, all of the anti-immigrant sentiments that went with that. And then, I mean, at the very definition of it, Megan is an immigrant to this country and you're telling her to exit. Right. So then it went from the tabloids to just global media and then American media started using it but American media didn't use it in that same exact way it's just that they picked up the term because you know British journalists journalists were using it so it's just it it turned turned into just now the exit especially after Harry and Meghan actually left right so but that that started in the minds and the hearts of some of the most vile people on the internet And while that's just a word, that's a relatively harmless example. What's more dangerous is that same exact thing happening, but for something more serious, you know? And people wonder why Harry and Meghan, but Meghan in particular, is not jumping to go to England. Because what they're doing is they're, there's like, like I said, I keep saying this word, coordination there's this coordinated effort to create such a toxic environment for Megan whenever she decides to return right they're like they're so hungry for it and so the way they organize and conduct themselves on websites like Twitter like Instagram I I mean although I don't really go on Instagram a whole lot but uh like YouTube you know, and a lot of it is, is not even just people who see themselves as a part of that group. A lot of it is a, just people hating, people just being full of hate. Um, but when you look at all of it together and how almost relentless they are with trying to put Megan down, despite the fact that she did everything like she mexited, she left. That was what you wanted. She did it. And yet, they're like they're just as hate-filled as they ever were, and it's sad. But the article is largely about anti-fans and what anti-fans is, and um, you know, I recommend it. I'll put the link in the description just for anybody that hasn't seen it. It's definitely an interesting read, and it it doesn't repackage Sussex squad work the way that Ellie Halls did for BuzzFeed the article that Sussex squad made viral uh glad to say I didn't promote that article the refinery 29 article is a, is a little bit it's more it's more writing than screenshots right um like Ellie Hall literally just combed through Sussex squad tweets and I remember I was about to say something like when that whole thing popped off, even though I was glad that more people were paying attention to the double standard that Megan had been experiencing and, you know, the British tabloids role in that and all of that. 
at the time that that article went viral, I was actually going to say something about how I didn't like the fact <laughs> that uh, it w- it went viral and as opposed to like Sussex Squad work going viral on Twitter. Um, even as individual tweets, that's better than somebody stealing other people's, you know, hard work and research and stuff like that. Um, only for, you know, months down the road for her to turn around and basically align herself with the Muxits and play a victim. Uh, but she actually is also quoted in the article. And, uh, of course, she basically, you know, as as I hate to say it, but, you know, white woman behavior, you know, shitting on the Sussex squad just because even though she stole our work now, even though she was only included in the article because of the work that she stole from Sussex squad for BuzzFeed on behalf of BuzzFeed, um, shitting on Sussex squad. And she's the quote unquote devil's advocate voice because, you know, people call Camilla Tomini camel toe. That ain't the same as inspiring death threats, but go off sis anyway I didn't want to sound like a hater at the time (laughs) that her article went viral so I was just like you know what I'm gonna let it ride but one thing I didn't do was promote that shit because uh uh-uh because some people just they are not into giving credit where it's due and she is one of those right so it's good to see that you know most people that were following her Tussle Quad have unfollowed her Uh, And she doesn't get the engagement, the undeserved engagement that she was getting. And I honestly think a lot of what caused her article again to go viral was the fact that we were happy that finally there was there was something that people could point to and say that that didn't that didn't know what we knew and say, wow, Megan was really getting it bad. That's not cool. And. It did that just because it was a viral piece, but it was what it was. It was stolen. And, you know, now she's playing the victim, you know, and and black women have always been put in a position to sort of like navigate the minefield of a white woman's whims. And girl, I ain't going to do it because I can't do it. I can't do it. I ain't got the energy, girl. And at this at this age in my life. Well, I'm I'm basically like just a handful of years from 40. I couldn't find two fucks to rub together to get to that girl about her feelings. And so I just don't engage. But I mean, it, it is rich that she is the one who's basically putting herself in position to defend Camel Toe Tomini when she is one of the worst offenders when it comes to the articles that were written about Megan mistruths written about and debunked but given the green light by the institution white women stick together girl don't let nobody fool like don't let nobody lie to you and I'm not trying to generalize here you know because I I still take people on a case-by-case basis but history like the great American Mark Twain says it doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes And a lot of those bitches will violate you, lie on you, and then send a lynch mob to come get your ass. So it makes sense to me that of all the people the BuzzFeed writer could have defended, she chose that bitch. And so now, you know, the way I see it is like you have 
if not hate, then excuses for the hate. And it's a group of largely Caucasian females. And it all boils down to them having an issue with seeing a black woman out here doing her thing in the world. It's really that simple. And they will tell you it has nothing to do with race. They will tell you uh, Megan is practically white, you know, but they'll turn around and call her child it and a chimpanzee and or retweet the same types of journalists who do those types of things. They are the same types of uh, folks who hate on Serena Williams, Beyonce Carter, Michelle Obama, any and every woman of color, but especially a black woman. I mean, because like the hatred of a black woman, that shit must be delectable, goddammit. Because I mean, people can't get enough, but especially a black woman who refuses to be satisfied with what the world thinks she deserves. And once she reaches the highest levels of society, whether socially, financially, politically, you can throw Kamala Harris in there. It doesn't matter whether she's half black or heart of darkness, Africa black. She's black. Okay. You saw the way Republicans in America treated Kamala Harris as she was running for president. They called her hoe. That's what they said. Joe and the hoe. So it's like, it doesn't matter. If you got black in you, girl, you may as well be like straight up Zulu. Shout out to the Zulus. But like once a black woman is highly visible and highly successful, it's kind of like open season. And that's where these online bullies come in. But let me let y'all know this. Just because black women carry their pain well doesn't mean that the burden is not heavy. And just because we don't cry at the drop of a hat the way some of you other girls are accustomed to doing because you know that's a formula that works for you, that doesn't mean that our pain isn't real. And when it comes to Megan, I think about this all the time, especially in light of what they revealed in the Oprah interview, is that as a black woman, the irony is, right, when I'm talking about like pain and uh, sadness uh, that all humans feel no matter who they are, but like as a black woman, black women know that these types of people, whether it's the anti-fans, whether it's the, the tabloid journalists, whether it's the institution and the family, they will be the first ones lining up to diminish that very pain the moment you speak about it. And then the question becomes for these same types of people, do you fit the profile or the image of someone who deserves to give voice to their pain and hurt? And sadly, these bigoted bitches take their cue from society and society's answer is no. So when Meghan Markle says, I was sad, I was depressed, I was suicidal, Piers Morgan, who is right in line with that group of people who coordinated to make Megan's life a living hell is the first person to say, I don't believe a word she says. And his reward for that, according to him, is a thank you from the royal family. But, you know, it's the disregard for her feelings. It's the millions of excuses, this conspiracy theories, all the stereotypes, you know, calling, calling her demanding calling black women demand. I'm telling you, 
everything that Megan has experienced in some form or another black women experience on a very regular basis. The vast majority of it is rooted in anti-blackness and racism, whether it's an individual's racism or society's. And the individual knows that they can hide behind society's racism and carry on with their bullying and baseless criticisms, especially of Megan, since she's so prominent. And anti-fans know that. But do you know who else knows that? Individual members of the royal family. And you know what? For me, now that I think about it, what it boils down to, like for real, for real, is this. Meghan Markle takes up space. Whether she's doing it as a duchess within the confines of the institution, whether she's doing it as an actress, whether she's doing it as a global philanthropist, she's taking up space. And they resented the fact that she didn't shrink herself. Yeah, they told her, yeah, be 50% uh, of yourself. As you see yourself now, cut it in half. She still took up space. And they didn't like that. They don't like that. And especially now that she's outside of, of the institution and still succeeding beyond what they wanted her to be able to do, still taking up space, That's why they can't let it go. That's why they can't stop obsessing about her. Because now she's really about to go hard. Just wait until those stitches, you know. Y'all, girl, just wait. But black women are not supposed to be able to do that. And when you feel comfortable doing that, then you're a target. And not just taking up space, but taking up space the way white people take up space. And not thinking twice about it. So that when they say, how dare you have the audacity, you say, how dare I not? I mean, it's it's the way that Kate Middleton felt that she could take up space when Megan was planning her own wedding. Kate literally had a Karen moment. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't nobody give Karen Middleton flack for taking up space. But see, when it came time, and we, we we talk about this a lot because this is just a point I ain't going to ever let go. When it came time, when one had the opportunity to then come to another woman's defense, when Kate had the opportunity to come to Megan's defense, even though she's the one who had the audacity to take up space where she shouldn't have, she was presented as the victim and she never corrected the record. That's taking up major space now Megan would never do that but Megan moves in a way that she feels entitled to the space that she's in and you can take up space without being offensive to anyone else in the space right you can take up space without being a Karen for example and that's where the Karen phenomenon is just so intriguing to me because that's all it is is you see white women taking up space in an obnoxious way right a lot of times they go to jail but it's something that that's why they're always white by the way (laughs) I'm sorry for how that sounds but y'all know Karens are mostly white but white women are accustomed to being able to do that and that's why the majority of them have an issue with Megan because Megan 
doesn't apologize for taking up space. Black women, Asian women, women of color, we're supposed to be apologetic about taking up space. We're supposed to move right on out of the way and make way for Karen's ass. Megan ain't doing none of that. She's not doing none of that. She's not, she didn't do it before she married Harry and she didn't do it after. That's what it boils down to for me. That's what it boils down to for me. She never doubted that she deserves to be there just as much as anybody else does. She got that the same way that Kate did by marrying into the quote unquote family. She never doubted or questioned whether or not she deserves the titles that she has. Just like she didn't question whether or not she and her family deserved security or privacy or expensive clothes or private jets or big beautiful houses or healthy babies or you know a head full of beautiful luscious hair or Frogmore Cottage or peaceful pregnancies or famous friends or Diana's jewelry or famous friends who speak up for her or fans who speak up for her or the right to not be bullied or you know what just Or oxygen, you know? So even though anti-fans will never give you a specific reason as to why they don't think Megan deserves any of it, Sussex Squad says she deserves all of it. And that's that on that. I know Thomas Markle did an interview for 60 Minutes in Australia. I'm not really even going to talk about that. I hardly ever talk about that fool on here. Let me tell y'all something. What is it with 60 Minutes Australia? It just don't seem like the same 60 Minutes in America. It's just, it just seems, it just seems off. <laughs> it just seems off, bro. Uh, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine 60 Minutes in America, like the regular 60 Minutes, talking to Thomas Markle. I just can't see it. Uh, but, yeah, he went on there and, you know, uh, apparently word on the street is it didn't didn't really get that many viewers. Um, but, I, I mean, I wouldn't know. I did watch some clips, but ultimately my takeaway is, you know, you can cry all you want. You can, you know say you had regrets, you know, but at the end of the day, you still doing interviews about your daughter. Ain't no parent finna do that. And you haven't even talked to your daughter. Now, granted, she said in the Oprah interview, I lost my dad. So he did to her, period. But people have a right to cut off toxic family members. You, You don't have to show empathy for somebody who ain't got it for you. You just don't. Life is just too short. And... It sucks for you that you won't get to see or meet your two new grandkids. But that's a choice that you made. Because as soon as Megan became Megan, the Duchess of Sussex and or Harry's fiance, and you saw the writing on the wall, you decided that you wanted to be famous, too. And so you did that. You're famous. Everybody knows who you are. But you see, it has a cost. Everything comes with a cost. And 
The cost for you is your relationship with your daughter and her children. And so the decisions you made then and even now have cost you everything. And now you're broke with expensive taste. But you know what? It's above me now. We can't help you. And as much as I hate what Thomas Markle did to his own daughter before her wedding, I would have advocated for him if he had just left it there and said, you know what? I mean, I know there was probably some things going on that he probably was already in cahoots with the Daily Mail before, you know what I'm saying? Or when that was happening. But if he had just cut it off and said, you know what? That was so stupid. That that was stupid. I just want to be a father. You know, I want to be here for my daughter. He could have been an ally when she was going through a lot of what she was going through. But much of what she was going through was thanks to him. You understand? And so what I had said in the podcast earlier was that a snake is still a snake at the end of the day. And so listen, you know, that is really just about all I have for today. Thank you as always for tuning in, for riding out with your girl and uh, for being like the best fans on Twitter. Uh, Coming up, Harry is going to England to the unveiling of the Princess Diana statue on July 1st. July 1st would have been Princess Diana's 60th birthday. RIP to her. I know a lot of Sussex Squad were hoping that Harry just stayed in in California, especially after Lily got here. But I just don't see him missing that regardless of what his relationship is with Pimple and Simple. I think his mother just meant too much to him. And I just don't see him missing the unveiling of a statue for her. If he chose to stay in California, I would support it because he'll see the statue at some point. But I think the world will be watching, especially given that that would have been her 60th birthday. Ain't gonna be no lag time. I do find it interesting, though. Again, some of the same folks that just obsess about everything they do, the anti-fans. They talk about, well, why don't Harry bring Archie? Why? Why would he do that? Why don't he just bring the kids and let Megan rest in in California? Y'all hoes wish. Right? Y'all really living in a dream world. That ain't gonna happen. But nevertheless, y'all so thirsty. Go find you some Sprite and obey that shit. Because y'all can't decide whether y'all want them to come or go. But anyway, I guess they'll be watching right along with the rest of us. And as always, anytime Harry's due to appear in the UK, there's some shenanigans either on social media some lie that's being told in the press and just like his granddaddy funeral I'm sure this is going to be no different thanks as always for tuning in you can find me on twitter at Megan Mood on Sussex Set oops on Instagram at Sussex Set and um yeah if you're your first time listening welcome to the channel and so with that ladies and gents until next time Peace. I'm a bad bitch. You can't kill me. Kill me.